Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. So this morning, we're going to finish up Acts chapter 1 and take a look at the end of this chapter and what was going on in the lives of the apostles, the followers of Jesus. So uh, we've been going through this um, this series in the book of Acts, and we've been searching and trying to figure out what it means for us today to be rooted together. Um, again, as you, just as a, a little reminder, this is our theme that we're going through um, in our school in Warner Christian Academy. It's our theme for us in a church, in, in the church, in going through the book of Acts, in trying to discover what God actually has for us. There are some patterns in the early church that were vital, and even prior to the launch of the early church. And so next week, we're going to be able to get there. Pastor Gary is going to be sharing with us and what that looked like in launching the early church, and so I'm excited about that. Uh, But this morning, we're going to get to that point to where the disciples are now taking some action. And so here in Acts chapter 1, we're going to start reading this morning in verse 12. So... um, Let's go ahead and read the scripture, and then we'll come back. So in verse 12, Acts chapter 1, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath's day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akadama, that is, field of blood. For, Peter said, it is written in the book of Psalm, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, It is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry which Judas left to where he belongs. Then they cast lots, 
and the lot fell on Matthias, so he was added to the eleven apostles. So here the actions of the apostles speak louder than words. And there's a lot going on in this passage of Scripture. Our default, though, whenever we read this passage, because of the gruesomeness that they're talking that Peter actually talks about, uh, is to focus on what actually happened to Judas. And so we'll hone in on that scripture and we'll forget what is actually taking place. But the actions of the apostle here, the apostles, are vital for us. And in order for us to be rooted together in the way that God actually wants we must discern and take a look at what their actions are. So to remember what's taking place, Jesus was crucified, he arose, and then he appeared to the apostles and to other believers for about a period of 40 days. Last week we talked about the ascension and how Jesus ascended up into heaven. The two witnesses came back and they said, why are you looking up into the clouds? This same Jesus who has ascended will return. And the excitement and the hope that we can have just from that one act, not only the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ, but that ascension and the promise that he's given to us. And so here Jesus has ascended, and he told them, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and while you're in Jerusalem, I want you to wait Don't leave, just stay there until you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. The disciples, after Jesus ascended, the witnesses say, hey, stop looking in the sky, you've got work to do. Then they actually went to Jerusalem. We see that they gathered together here in this upper room, and they were actually being obedient to that which Jesus said. Now, probably, I'm just going to tell, just insert myself into this. If I were living about 2,000 or so years ago, the temptation that would have been to me uh, would have been one to get ahead of what Jesus actually said. Uh, I like to rush God. I like to move God along a little quicker sometimes than he actually likes to work. And so Jesus said, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, and you'll get that power, but I want you to wait And there's a hard word, right? Wait. So I can imagine the excitement, had I been there with the apostles, and had I been one of the over 100 believers that had gathered there, I probably would have wanted to go out and tell everybody what had just taken place. I would have wanted to tell them about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, how God came in the flesh, how we saw so many things that Jesus had done, the dead come back to life, the blind being able to see, those who couldn't walk to get up and actually walk. And then Jesus, after he was crucified, he then appeared. And not only did he appear, but we watched him like nobody else defy gravity and ascend back to his father's throne in heaven. That is something that you want to tell people, right? That's something that can excite you if you were to actually see that. But the disciples were obedient. And so we need to figure out what the disciples did before the launch, the birth of the church. From that time Jesus ascended to his Father's throne until the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. What did they actually do? In this passage of Scripture, we can see four specific things that I want to talk about this morning that are vital for us in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The first in verse 12, then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Now, do you remember what Jesus said? We, We talked about this already this morning. We talked about it last week. 
He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait. The first thing the disciples did is they were obedient to the words that Jesus said. Despite that temptation that may have come upon them as if it would have me if I were there. Hurry up and get ahead of God. Go tell everybody what had just happened. Go share of Jesus' life and go share of Jesus' ministry. Go share of the miracles and go share that he conquered death and go share that he actually arose to the Father. They were obedient. Verse 14, here's another thing they did. We have to catch this. They all joined together constantly in prayer. They didn't rush out and try to figure out how the Holy Spirit was going to come. They joined together constantly in prayer. And this was a period of about 10 days from the time they got to Jerusalem until the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit had actually come. They were constantly in prayer in verse 14. And then in verse 15 through 20, they knew the scripture. Peter stood up and he actually quoted from Psalms, two different passages in the book of Psalms. Two times, Peter didn't have to go look it up. He just quoted it. He just shared exactly what was on his heart. So we see this in the, in the apostles. We see that they actually had this devotion to Scripture, that they knew the Scriptures, forwards and backwards. It was in them. And then the last thing that we actually see in verse 21 through 26, where we're, they were actually selecting two people and waiting for God to reveal which of these two it was to replace Judas. They were dependent upon God. These four things have to be in every single one of our lives if we are to experience the fullness that God has for us on this side of eternity. These four things are what we're going to talk about, but the thing that I want you to know, that I want you to know before we dive into these four things this morning, is in order for God to use us, we must become usable, right? In order for God to use us, we must become usable. If you're not usable, then God cannot use you. It's very simple. It's kind of like a potter who takes some clay and he puts it on the wheel. There is some clay that is just not moldable. It doesn't have the characteristics that the potter actually needs to be able to shape uh, the clay into whatever it is that he's going to be shaping. And that clay has to be set aside because it is not usable. And then the potter will go to the next piece of clay so that he can use it to craft whatever it is that he wants to craft. And this is how God works in our lives. God desires to use you. But in order for God to use you, you have to become usable. And the apostles here have laid out four actions that we must have in our life in order in, in our lives in order for us to actually become usable. Now to give you a little bit of a backstory on what's happening in Jerusalem when the apostles actually arrived. Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and I want you to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit. There is a feast, the Feast of Weeks, that is taking place, and all of this activity is hustling and bustling in Jerusalem. People much, much smarter than I am tell us that there were about a million or so additional people in the city of Jerusalem during this time. And there they were celebrating this feast, the Feast of the Harvest. And they were going to take a look at these rituals and these feasts that had been laid out in the Old Testament. And there they gathered to actually see this religious ritual play out. It was also in Jerusalem, if you remember, where the trial of Jesus took place. It's a very significant area. 
And then, not only did the trial of Jesus take place there, there were people who had begun to search for the apostles, or Jesus' disciples, and say, hey, were you with him? And we see Peter actually deny Jesus. Because not only were they going to crucify Jesus for his words and his actions, and him saying, I am God in the flesh, I am the Son of God, and then uh, after the excitement of Jesus being who he said he was, and he didn't build the temple, and he wasn't coming to accomplish God's plan the way that they thought it would be accomplished, they were going to crucify, or they decided to crucify Jesus. Well, these apostles, these disciples were in the midst of that. And the disciples knew that this atmosphere in Jerusalem was still an atmosphere that crucified Jesus. And then you add all of these additional people in Jerusalem, about a million or so, and they had not seen, not all of them, had actually seen Jesus arise, and they certainly had not seen Jesus ascend up into heaven. So they weren't aware of all of this activity. But Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem. Had they gone to Jerusalem and begun to broadcast that they were with Jesus in these activities, that they had been followers of Jesus for three to three and a half years, they too possibly could have been crucified. But despite the potential opposition, the apostles were still obedient to Jesus' words. You see, what they were doing was allowing their lives to become usable They were obedient to Jesus' words. If you want God to work in your life, you must begin with obedience to Him. That's where it has to start. There are so many times that we ask God, God, I need this, or God, I need you to help with this, or God, I've got this going on in my life. Can you please help with this? God wants to. God is willing, and He is certainly able but the way that we see those things come to, pl- come to pass is when we first are obedient to Him. You see, God will work in our lives, but there also has to be action on our part. It's not just all of the responsibility on God. We have to step up in the way the apostles stepped up here, and they were obedient to what God had said. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and wait. What did they do? They went to Jerusalem, and they wait. Despite potential opposition, despite what harm could have come to their own lives, they were still obedient because they heard God's voice, and then they did that. So I want to begin this morning with this question. What has God spoken to you? What has God spoken to you? I promise you, God is speaking to you. God is a God who speaks. He is a speaker. I like what Robert Morris says. In the scriptures, in the book of Genesis, we start with a God who speaks. That's the beginning of time here on the earth. When we get to the end of the scriptures in the book of Revelation, everything ends with a God who speaks. And from beginning of time to end of time, God is a God who communicates to us. God is speaking to you. God wants to have a relationship with you that he can communicate with you. Now, we could get into all of the different ways that God actually speaks, It's not an audible voice, could be an audible voice if he so chooses, but there are so many different ways that God communicates with us. We have to be able to know what God has spoken to us in the same way that the disciples knew what Jesus said, and then they went and did that. 
You see, sometimes the frustration and the heartache in our life is not because of God's actions. It's because of our disobedience or because we have missed the voice of God. It's vital for you to know how God wants to speak to you. And we'll get into this morning a couple of different ways that God speaks. But here we actually see the beginning of the, the apostles' works being a, a ministry of obedience. The apostles returned to Jerusalem in verse 12. They were actually living out a life of obedience. And in order for us to be obedient, we have to be people of prayer. Take a look at verse 14. I don't know if you write in your Bible you highlight in your Bible, or if you just take notes. Either one, I want you to write this down this morning. It's verse 14, and it is a very, very powerful verse. It says, they all joined together constantly in prayer. Constantly were they joining together in prayer. Now notice, Jesus did not, if we were to go back and we were to see Jesus' words back in uh, verse 5, 6, and 7, and then in verse 8, Jesus didn't say, I want you to go and I want, I want you to go have a prayer meeting. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus instructed them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. After the apostles got there, they said, we need to make sure that we continue hearing from God. And the way that they did that, they joined together in prayer, constantly in prayer, Luke put in this. It was a continual process of waiting to hear from God. There's two things that we have to catch here that are very, very important. And one of them I didn't even think about until this morning. I missed the word. But the first is there was a prayer meeting that was actually taking place. They were devoted to hearing from God's voice. They knew that Jesus had given them instructions, and those instructions led them to this room in Jerusalem. There were no instructions after that. Jesus just said, go and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so before they took their next step, they didn't, they didn't do anything except for join together constantly in prayer. Notice, they were just doing the last thing that Jesus had told them. If you want to get the next thing from God, you have to master the last thing that God actually told you. And if you don't know the last thing that God actually told you, how can you be in the center of God's will? That's why I say so many weeks, every, uh, almost every single Sunday, I tell you, if God tells you something, write it down. It's important. It's important that you have to know what God told you to do. There's so many ways that God speaks. He speaks through his word. He speaks in nature. He speaks uh, through other people. He speaks to us in our personal time of prayer. However God speaks, if God speaks to you, write it down so that you don't forget. And so that the liar, the enemy, doesn't come at you the way he did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and try to pervert or twist the word of God that he's actually spoken. You have to spend time in prayer with God, just you and God, so you know what he's spoken to you, so you know what you need to be doing. So the disciples had received a word from God that said, go to Jerusalem and wait. Now remember, the instruction was not just to wait. It was wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses. And they were doing exactly what Jesus said. They had not received the next instruction. They knew it was coming. God had prepared them in advance for the Holy Spirit's arrival, but they didn't get ahead of God. They were waiting on God. You know, the hardest thing to do in my life, and I assume your life as well, is to wait on God. 
But you know, it's in that waiting on God that we experience this richness in our relationship with God that we don't get in the hustle and bustle and the doing of life. It's that waiting on God, waiting for the next thing that he speaks that we have to have in our lives. The way the apostles modeled that here before the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church, they joined together constantly in prayer. Prayer is vital, and you maybe should write down the things that God speaks to you in prayer. Now, this is what I missed this week, well, probably the past two or three weeks, and taking a look at this passage of Scripture. There's one key word here in verse 14 that this morning just blew me away that I just totally missed. It was the word together. Together. Listen, I think that God used COVID in a crazy way in our world to cause us to focus more and more on Him. However, one of the things that the enemy used in COVID and continues to use in COVID is this idea of isolation. Now, there's certainly a time where you need to be in isolation. And I'm not saying that isolation is a bad thing. But this I am saying, you have to come out of isolation. And we have to be together. God designed us to be together. God put the apostles together before the church was launched. And then this togetherness is what actually brought the unity that God desired and needed in the early church. If we are not together, we will never experience unity in God. You can go have unity somewhere. And you can go have unity somewhere. And somebody else can go have unity with God somewhere. But he desires for us to be together. Because it's when we are together that we experience this unity that he has actually dreamed for us here at Whitechapel Church. That we experience this unworldly unity that only comes in relationship with God. This togetherness that we need so that this area will be radically changed for him. The apostles modeled it here in Acts chapter 1. They lived it out from Acts chapter 2 forward in the early church after the arrival of the Holy Spirit. They, that unity could not be broken because of the power of the Holy Spirit. So the first two things that we see here from the disciples, the apostles, is they joined together, together, constantly in prayer. And this is why every week we talk about being a part of a community group. We don't get to spend some of that togetherness here on a Sunday morning. Absolutely, there's some great togetherness out in, the, in, um, out in the lobby and out when we're having donuts and having coffee together and we're visiting with each other. But we have to have more togetherness than just that. And so we have to figure out this idea of fellowshipping together so that the enemy does not divide us. It's Whenever we're in isolation, that he can conquer us. But whenever we're together, together as a body of believers, the enemy will never be able to win. And the disciples, the apostles, were living that out here in Acts chapter 1 before the arrival of the Holy Spirit. So you have to be a person of prayer, and you have to be willing to be together with other people. So let's talk about prayer for just a moment. I want us to have some other scriptures of what the scriptures tell us about prayer. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, does that say 5? Yes. 
Boy, that gets further and further back every single week back there, and smaller and smaller and smaller. Uh, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I think that's what was taking place here at the end of Acts chapter 1. They joined together constantly in prayer, Acts 1.14 says to us. They were praying without ceasing. And the reason that they were able to do that is because there was an anticipation inside of them of the promise that they had received from Jesus that the Holy Spirit was actually coming. Do you know why there was that spirit of anticipation and why they could pray without ceasing? Because they had heard from God. If you don't hear from God, if you don't write it down, then the enemy is going to steal the anticipation or the excitement inside of you because you've missed the promises of God. They were able to spend this 10 days or so with exciting anticipation and praying without ceasing and joining together constantly, constantly, because they had heard from God, and that's what fueled them through the next 10 days until the arrival of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Peter, Peter says, be sober and watchful in our prayers. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, be continuing, be continuing steadfastly in prayer. Colossians 4, diligent in it with thanksgiving, diligent in your prayer. This is what the scripture reminds us that we must be doing in prayer. And so what I want to say to you is we have to have the discipline to put patterns in our life that cause us to spend this type of quality time of prayer together and then alone with God. If we want to achieve the power that God has for us, and if we want to reach the full potential that God designed us for, then these patterns of joining together constantly in prayer and what the Scripture tells us about prayer must be in our lives. If you're lacking power in your life, you need to spend time in prayer. If you're lacking any type of energy to compel you forward, then I say get back in prayer. And then when you get in prayer, do it together with other believers. We need each other. God designed us for that. But even more than that, we need Him. And that comes to us in prayer. They all joined together constantly in prayer. Now, where did the disciples actually learn this? The disciples didn't just think this up on their own. They knew what to do because they had been with Jesus for about three to three and a half years. And they watched Jesus do this over and over and over again. In Luke chapter 5, one of my favorite passages, where we see Jesus actually modeling this lifestyle of prayer. Luke says... Yet the news about him, he's talking about Jesus here, yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now I imagine if somebody showed up here today and we hear all of these miracles that this person is doing in the way that Jesus was doing, the news is going to spread pretty quick, right? And so as the news was spreading about these miracles that Jesus had done, The word spread very, very fast. And Luke tells us the people came. The crowd of people came to hear Jesus. Now notice what Jesus did not do as we read the last verse, verse 16 here. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. What did Jesus not do? He didn't spend time entertaining the crowd. Jesus did what he needed to do, what his father had ordained 
for him to do. But then the pattern of Jesus would later become the pattern of the apostles before the arrival of the Holy Spirit and the birth of the church. They withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus certainly could have entertained the crowds. He could have ministered to the crowds, and there were a lot of needs. But Jesus didn't go to there. He did what he needed to do, but he withdrew to spend time in prayer. You know why Jesus spent time in prayer? Is because he told us he wanted to be about his father's business. And God in the flesh, the flesh can twist the father's business if you don't withdraw to a place of prayer. Jesus modeled it for the apostles, the disciples. And then whenever Jesus ascended and he wasn't there any longer, they put that same thing into practice. They got a word from God. The word said, wait in Jerusalem for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. They went to Jerusalem, and for 10 days, they spent time joining together in prayer. They learned this, actually, from Jesus. So Jesus prioritized prayer. The apostles prioritized prayer. So it is vital for us also to prioritize prayer in our daily activity. If Jesus did it, if the apostles did it, then it's probably something that we have to take note of because this is where we learn how to be useful and obedient to the Father. These things don't come by accident. These things are not built in as defaults inside of us. In fact, if we were to go back and to examine any baby, whenever that baby first starts to talk and walk, one of the first words a baby learns is no. Now, moms say it's mom, or moms say it's dad, and dads say it's mom, right? So there's that great debate. What does a baby say first? They might say some of that, but I promise you, no is one of those first few words that a baby learns. You don't have to teach it to the baby. You don't have to say Say after me, no. They just learn it. And whenever the baby says no, we will say, now say this, yes. And what do they say? No. Every time. Do you know why? That's wired into our flesh. And the way that we get the no out of our life so that it becomes a yes to God is do what Jesus did, do what the apostles did, and prioritize prayer in our daily activity. Because it's only in our time with God that our no to him becomes a yes. Prayer leads to obedience every single time. You never sneak up on obedience. You never accidentally walk into obedience. It comes out of a time with prayer in God. Most of us would say that Jesus spoke to us, convicted us, and that's how we responded to him, and we asked him to become our Lord and Savior. And we received his, his gift of grace that then his blood washed away all of our sins. Some of us, we could go around this morning and tell a testimony of us sitting in church, sitting in some type of a, uh, of a Sunday school room, or sitting with some other believer, and God spoke, and he said, you're a sinner, you're lost and undone, and you need me. 
The Holy Spirit convicted us and he drew us to Jesus. And most of us, that's how our story, or a lot of us would say that's how our story began. And if God spoke at the beginning of our relationship with him, that's not enough to sustain us until we take our last breath. We need God continuously speaking to us throughout our life over and over again. If God speaks at the beginning, why would he have ever stopped speaking? He wants to speak to you every single day, and that comes in prayer. Your no is converted to a yes, but you have to prioritize prayer in your daily life. Jesus did it. The apostles did it, and we too have to do that as well. So we see here, the apostles returned to Jerusalem. They were obedient. The second thing in verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. It was constantly in prayer. Now, I remember whenever Melissa and I first started dating, one of the things that we did is we prioritized our time together. We would just change things up to make sure that we were able to spend time together. We would stay up late, whatever it took, so that we could spend time together. We probably need to put that into practice in our life with Jesus as well. If you love him, you're going to do everything you can to spend time with him, right? I was with some people this last week, and one of the guys said, yeah, but... How is it that I can do that whenever I'm a dad and I've got soccer and I've got baseball or whatever with his his daughters and, and I've got this for my wife and I've got this going on in the church and I've got this going on and I just don't have a whole lot of time to, to spend with God. How do I do that? And in that moment, the Lord reminded me, and I didn't say it out loud because I felt it was for this moment this morning, what it was like when Melissa and I first started dating. It was important for me to spend time with her because I loved her. And whenever you love something and it's important to you, you do everything you can to spend time with that person. If you love God, you should do everything you can to make sure that you spend time with him. Jesus, God in the flesh, spent time with the Father. The apostles spent time with the Father. And we'll see as we go through the early church, they were devoted constantly to spending time with the Father in prayer. We need this time because this is where our power as his children actually comes from. So I want to challenge you with an action step this morning. Obedience comes through prayer. They were obedient, they were together, and they prioritized prayer. I'm spending a lot of time on this one, uh, and we'll get to these next two in just a moment. But this one's important. If we can get this one, and if we can master prioritizing prayer, then we'll start to see victories over and over and over and over in our life. So I want to challenge you and give you this action step this morning. And if you miss nothing, if you've been sleeping, wake up and catch this one. Prioritize prayer. Set aside time for prayer and don't allow anything to interfere with it, whatever that takes for you in your life. If you've got to get up a little earlier before the day actually gets going so it's just you, if you've got to stay up a little later so that the day is winding down and it's just you and God, if you get some time to retreat in the middle of the day and it's just you and God, whatever it looks like for you in your life, please make this a priority. If you've got 15 minutes today, that's great. Start with 15 minutes. If you've got five minutes, 
Make it a priority, and you spend that time with God. If you get more, that's great. If it's a morning, noon, and nighttime, that's great. Whatever it looks like for you, just do it. Now listen, this is the lie from the enemy that I promise you you're going to hear whenever you start prioritizing prayer in your life. The lie from the enemy is going to be you probably should start getting your life right before you go spend time with God. That's a lie from the enemy. Don't take that bait and stop your time with God. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say, you've got to start living right before you start spending time with God. That's a lie. Call it out and don't take that bait. You get your life right with God by spending time in prayer. You see the difference and you see how the enemy twists it? The enemy's going to say, get right, and then you can pray. God says, spend time with me, and the Holy Spirit will help get you right. So don't go try to start living right, and then spend time with God in prayer. Spend time in God with prayer. Prioritize prayer, and then everything else is going to fall into place. You know how Jesus said this? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these other things are going to be added to you. We could apply that to our prayer life. Seek first the kingdom of God in prayer, and then all of these things will be added to you. I just find it interesting here that it took 10 days for the promise of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, to actually be fulfilled. It blows my mind that it took 10 actually days. Why did God wait? Why? I mean, he is the creator of time, right? But yet it took 10 days Ten days of waking up, living life, and going to sleep. Waking up, living life, and going to sleep. Doing that over and over and over. It was just a ten short days for us. But could you imagine the disciples actually living that? Come on, God. You know what's coming up. The festival of weeks is coming up. And all of these people that persecuted you are going to be here. And these people that don't like us because we were actually with you. We've already denied you. You've already, they already think that we stole your body. And all of this stuff is coming to take place. Could you please get the Holy Spirit here so that we can get on and actually being your witnesses? That's why Michael Chambliss was not an apostle. Because that's how I would have been. Ten days it took for the Holy Spirit to arrive. But what did they do in those 10 days? They were constantly together in prayer. It's important for us to actually apply this to your life. So please, prioritize prayer so that you don't get ahead of God. In my life, I know if I am not spending time with the Lord, I'm always going to try to get ahead of Him and try to rush Him. I want to get something done and move on to the next thing. There's nothing more fulfilling than marking something off of my to-do list. And then that check mark is there. It's an Evernote on my iPad, and then it's erased, and it's put in the junk folder. What a celebration. But there are some things that God leaves there over and over and over and over and over. And it's those moments in prayer that God would say, would you just please wait on me? Please wait on me. We have to have this pattern that the apostles had in prioritizing prayer in our life because it's that that then leads to obedience. You know, the next thing that the apostles actually did, we see this in verse, 20, or verse 15 through 20. We don't have to go back, and we're not going to go through that, and we're not going to read it all over again this morning. Um, but I just want you to catch this. This is, this is what their devotion was to Scripture. 
They knew the scripture. Before they got to this moment in the upper room, and before they were trying to figure out what the next steps were, and somebody had to be added to these apostles, so that that person could fulfill this number of 12 that was actually given, they knew the scriptures. And so whenever the crisis came up, they already had the scriptures inside of them, so then it was just naturally lived out. This is what I've learned in my life. Whenever I put the word of God inside of me, it might not make sense today, but there's going to be a moment in the future that the word of God I put in me today is going to be eye-opening down the road. And that's what was taking place here when Peter stood up and he quoted from two different passages from the book of Psalms. He said, hey, you know why this was allowed to happen with Judas? Because it was prophesied in days of old. It was told to us long before we ever got here. And then the prophecy goes on to say that someone should actually replace him. So if God spoke it long ago, do you think we should maybe be living that out right here and right now in this moment before the Holy Spirit actually comes? You see, Peter wasn't making this decision on his own. He went back into Scripture that was already placed inside of him before this moment, and he said, hey, Scripture now needs to guide us. In this fast-paced world that we live in, you've got to get the Word of God inside of you before the crisis comes so that when the crisis comes, you allow Scripture to guide your steps and to be played out in moments of crisis. If you wait until the crisis, you can go back to Scripture, but you're taking up that time in that moment of crisis to go back into Scripture that you would have been better prepared if the Scripture had already been with you before you actually got to the crisis. The apostles were obedient because they spent time in prayer. They were devoted to prayer, and long before the crisis came, they were actually devoted to Scripture, and they memorized it. So I want to challenge you. Not only should you prioritize prayer, but you should also prioritize Scripture. So many times we get frustrated and we say, God isn't speaking to me. God isn't speaking to me. Well, let me tell you, He has spoken to you. It's here. It's in this Word. It's from Genesis to Revelation. These are the words of God. And we have to get the words of God out of this book and get inside of us so that it can guide our steps moving forward. Jesus went to the Word of God. The apostles went to the Word of God. Maybe we should also be going to the Word of God and devoted to knowing this book, letting it guide our steps, and getting it inside of us. The author of the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 12, says this, For the Word of God is alive and active. Listen, this is not a book this is the Word of God, and it is alive, and it is active, and you can take this and put it inside of your heart so that it guides you, so that you're not relying on your own strength and energy in crisis moments of life, but instead it is the Word of God that is alive and active in the crises that you may be in, and then it is His power of the Word of God that has gone before you. The Word of God is alive and active. So maybe we should tap into that. 
Maybe we should let it get inside of us in our times of prayer. So when you prioritize prayer, prioritize the scripture right alongside of that. Go into the time of prayer. Start by reading the scripture. These are words that God has spoken. So begin with these words and let it lead to additional words from God that he wants to speak to you specifically for the moments that you face in life. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that the word of God is sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. The disciples place their complete dependency upon God in this matter of trying to decide who they were going to choose. And they allowed the word of God to guide their steps in this moment. And as the word of God guided them, they totally put their trust in Jesus Christ. Verse 16. Verse 16 here. It says in verse 16. The word of God, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, or the word of God had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. Do you see what's taking place here? The Holy Spirit long ago spoke through God's word. God is speaking to us, and we have to be obedient to him, and the way that we actually get there is spending time in prayer, making that a priority in our life, and making God's word a priority in all of our lives. So let's go back to this, and we're going to wrap up with this this morning. Verse 21 through 26, they were dependent upon God. Well, how did they get there? It was through prayer and scripture. That led to obedience, and then that caused them to be totally dependent upon God. So here in verse 21 through 26, they they chose two guys. Peter says, God, you know the hearts of these two people. You know which one that it actually should be. There was over 100 that were actually gathered there. Then there were the apostles. There was a few other people that were, that were um, in this upper room with them in Jerusalem. They were waiting on the promise of the Holy Spirit. They take two guys, and they say, all right, God, we're not sure exactly which one of these that it should be. But you know their hearts, and so we want you to actually reveal to us which one of these two that this should actually be to replace Judas. You see, in this moment, they were totally dependent upon God. They were 100% relying upon the power of God. So how many times do we in our life make a decision, and then after we make a decision, we ask God to please bless that decision? We say, God, I want you to bless this Sometimes I think God says, well, why didn't you ask me before you made that decision to begin with? You see, what they could have done here when they were, the 11 were choosing one of these two, they could have chosen one and said, God, we want you to ordain this person for this job. We want you to bless our selection to actually replace Jesus, Judas. But that's not what they did. They said, God, we're not going to make this decision We want you to reveal what our next step should be. Listen, we should not take a step until the Lord orders the step. We should not make a decision until the Lord reveals what the right decision actually is. And again, our temptation, my temptation, is to make a decision and then say, God, please bless this decision. And God says, that's backwards. The pattern of the disciples here 
is that they were obedient. They returned to Jerusalem. They joined together constantly in prayer. They were devoted to prayer. They knew the Scripture. They were devoted to the Scripture. And then at the end, they were totally dependent upon God. When God had this atmosphere established, we'll see next week, He sends the promise of the Holy Spirit. And from that moment forward, the church, the bride of Christ was birthed. And this world would be different from that moment forward. You see, for us to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we have to set some priorities first. God has dreamed, revealed to us, six specific things that he has dreamed for us as a congregation all the way back in the 30s when this church was launched. God dreamed for us to have unity in the way that we actually seeing it played out here. In that obedience, they joined together this idea of unity. That unity that was experienced in that upper room and then it played out in Jerusalem and to Samaria and to all of the ends of the earth and the gospel was spread. If we can conquer these things, if we're... not conquer, if we can live out these things in our lives, then we'll see that unity spread throughout this community. And this community will see the power of the Holy Spirit inside of the lives of people that are part of Whitechapel Church, and they too will forever be changed for all of eternity. Then there's the powerhouse of prayer and the powerhouse of worship. We see that being played out here in the lives of the apostles. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to Scripture. And they were totally dependent upon God. And so my charge to you this week are to take these four actions of the apostles and let them shape your life so that you can experience the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit working in every single area of your life. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.